0: The great equalizer. Right. That's a great quote. And I, um, you know, I often say people are like, well, what is your product? And I say our product <laughs> is opportunity. I mean, people mostly would say, well, it's books. Right. And and I say, no, I mean, sure, it's books, but it's it's more than that. It's it's opportunity. Mm-hmm. That is our that's what we're I wouldn't even say selling because we're giving it away.
1: Let's discover what people are building in the greater Cleveland community. We are telling the stories of Northeast Ohio's entrepreneurs, builders, and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. I am your host Jeffrey Stern and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with Tracy Strobel, the CEO of the Cuyahoga County Public Library. Tracy was appointed to lead the library system back in 2019 after serving as its deputy director for nearly 15 years where she led the information technology, technical services, and literacy and learning divisions across its 27 branches. And with those 27 branches, the Cuyahoga County Public Library serves the 610,000 residents of the 47 communities in Northeast Ohio, and under Tracy's leadership has earned the prestigious five-star rating in Library Journal's index of public library service for the last decade, and received the publication's highest overall score among America's largest metropolitan library systems for 10 consecutive years. This was really an amazing conversation. We cover Tracy's childhood dream of being a librarian, The history of the Cuyahoga County Public Library, the business and operations of libraries and how they actually work, their responsibility and role as a civic institution and bastion for education and the robust exchange of ideas, their evolution and relevance in an ever dynamic and technologically enabled world, offering opportunity as a product, lesser known and unexpected services that libraries offer and ultimately Tracy's vision for the future of the Cuyahoga County Public Library. If you cannot tell, I am personally a huge fan of libraries, and as Tracy and I will discuss, I think they are of the most underrated public institutions we have, and so it was a real treat to hear from Tracy about her experience leading the Cuyahoga County Public Library. So with that, please enjoy my conversation with Tracy Strobel after a brief message from our sponsor. Lay of the Land is brought to you by Impact Architects and by 90. As we share the stories of entrepreneurs building incredible organizations in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio, Impact Architects has helped hundreds of those leaders, many of whom we have heard from as guests on this very podcast, realize their own visions and build these great organizations. I believe in Impact Architects and the people behind it so much that I have actually joined them personally in their mission to help leaders gain focus, align together and thrive by doing what they love. If you two are trying to build great, Impact Architects is offering to sit down with you for a free consultation or provide a free trial through 90, the software platform that helps teams build great companies. If you're interested in learning more about partnering with Impact Architects or by leveraging 90 to power your own business, please go to ia.layoftheland.fm. The link will also be in our show notes. So I've been really looking forward to our conversation. I've been of this belief that libraries may be one of the most underrated public institutions uh, that we have in our society today. And recently, actually, not intentionally in preparation for this, but I was reading Ben Franklin's autobiography, and I wrote down this passage on libraries that, to me, captured this power. And I would love to just read it, to just put it out there as a preface our conversation. Go for it. So he, he said that libraries improved the general conversation of the Americans. It made the common tradesmen and farmers as intelligent as most gentlemen from other countries and perhaps have contributed in some degree to the stand so generally made throughout the colonies in defense of their privileges. Reading became fashionable and our people, having no public amusements to divert their attention from study, became better acquainted with books And in a few years, we're observed by strangers to be better instructed and more intelligent than people of the same rank generally are in other countries. The library afforded me the means of improvement by constant study. So I I just, I like that. Yeah, (laughs) great, great
0: equalizer, right? That's a great quote. And I, um, you know, I often say people are like, well, what is your product? And I say our product (laughs) is opportunity. I mean, people mostly would say, well, it's books, right? And and I say, no. I mean, sure, it's books, but it's it's more than that. It's it's opportunity. Mm. That is our that's what we're I wouldn't even say selling because we're giving it away. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Right. I love that that framing of libraries as as opportunity. And as I was thinking about them in this kind of highest regard, I did realize that I do have very little understanding of all the work that you and your organization does to steward the greater Cuyahoga County Public Library at, at large and how you think about it strategically and, and actually, you know, operationally kind of day-to-day, the challenges that you face, the history of, of the library system and how it came to become what it is today. And so, yeah, I just wanted to thank you for, for coming on and to, to share your story.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Most people aren't laying awake wondering how a library works behind the scenes, <laughs> but uh, I do. So that's all that <laughs> I hope that's all that we need. <laughs>
1: yeah. Did did you always lay awake and and think about libraries when you were younger and think you would be working in them?
0: You know what? I I will admit that I used to play librarian as a small child. <laughs> I won't go into the detail about what that looks like, but I did like that was my my playtime. I played librarian. So I guess I was born for this, but uh all through college, I would do everybody else's research for beer, I guess you could say. And uh, I realized, you know, I really could do this for the rest of my life. I could do this as a profession. Of course, I never do research now, <laughs> including my own. But but that's what really turned me on was the act of finding the answers, right? It's like a giant treasure, treasure hunt. And so I fell in love with libraries just by finding really hard questions and, and just keep looking for the answers. And they were always there in a library.
1: That's amazing. How, how did your journey work professionally to, to find yourself in, in this kind of role? Sure.
0: So at the risk of sounding like the world's biggest nerd, um, <laughs> when I went to library school, and that is a thing, you get a master's in library science after you get a bachelor's degree. And uh, my dream, and I was, I was 21, yeah. uh, was to be a government documents librarian. Maybe a law librarian, but I really wanted to be a government documents librarian, which, you know, looking back sounds dreadfully boring. No offense (laughs) to any of the millions of government documents librarians listening right now. But um, thank God, when I got out of library school at the age of 22, I could not find a government documents librarian job to save my life. It was heartbreaking, devastating to my young self. And uh, so I actually started working in manufacturing in the technology end, like production and inventory control, you know, trying to do cost accounting on machining and CNC work, and uh, found out I had a real kind of just knack for picking up different technologies. So then I married the technology piece that I learned for three or four years in manufacturing with my library degree and found a, a job in the public libraries focused on technology. And I stayed focused on technology for about the first decade of my career and then came here to Cuyahoga County Public Library in a more general role as the deputy director, which was a huge leap because uh, I was literally working in jeans and flip-flops in the basement of Cleveland Public Library before I became second in charge here at Cuyahoga County Public Library. <laughs> so I went from having like one and a half people um, that reported to me to having a chain of command of, of over 400.
1: Wow. So that's that's amazing.
0: It was a leap. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still here. So I guess that means I did okay.
1: Yeah. And I, I know you you did some some innovative work there as well in yeah. in the development of, of the library system. So I we'll circle back to that. But but I love that you called out, you know, that it I don't think it's fair to to judge a library's value to a community by simply the the books that that it houses. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's this whole concept of of third. Place institutions right. uh, where where libraries and librarians you know take on a function far beyond uh, the purview of just lending out books and, and play this important um, but maybe you know informal role in, in community and holding space for people to come together and sharing ideas and access to to civic resources. So when you if you were to just provide an overview of you know what it is the Cuyahoga County Public Library is. In our community, how would you describe it?
0: So that's really summed up in our mission statement by four things: read, learn, create, connect. And so I never want to discount reading in books as a huge part of what a library does. It's really easy to dismiss that and say, oh, but we're more than books. But I mean, we are largely books, right. and reading. <laughs> but um, you know, right along with that is is learning. So our programming is what brings people through the doors every day, especially the, the folks that are relying on our digital collection are still coming in for those learning opportunities, whether they're bringing in their kids for story time, a really traditional thing, or you know maybe they're bringing in their, their mom who just moved here from another country uh, to learn English as a second language in our classes, and you know, so much in between I won't get into, but that connecting piece also is so incredibly important and you, know, you can connect with technology for sure if you don't have it because you know we are the original sort of bridge of the digital divide we've had the internet free in public libraries uh since the 90s since the late 90s but we're also connecting with each other right we're connecting as a community it's a place to come to feel like you're part of a community especially in this day and age when so many people are, are working from home, spending, uh, you know, a lot of time in their homes. It's that place they can go, like you said, the third the third space, um, where they can just get a sense of the bigger world out there, or the small world, right? Uh, just their neighbors meeting up. Um, you know, we have people just meeting here to read the paper and drink coffee every morning. And, and there's a recent report by the Surgeon General on isolation and, like, the the health impact of isolation. Libraries are are really the cure, you know, or at least some of the medication to, to fight <laughs> that.
1: Can you share a bit about the history of the Cuyahoga County Public Library and how it has evolved yeah. over time?
0: Sure. So last year we turned hundred. Wow. Um, so we were established in 1922 in Cuyahoga County. There were already eight library systems in existence in 1922. So uh, the state changed some laws and said, we're only going to uh, recognize and fund public libraries established. You know, you can only come together as a system in a, in a district, as a public library, but we would grandfather in anything established before those laws changed. So anyway, there are other library systems in Cuyahoga County, but a hundred years ago we were established as a library district to serve the uh, 47 communities that weren't already serviced by a library system. So we actually started out with just mobile services and classroom collections. It's a little known fact we started out in the library of the Cleveland Public Library downtown. Or, I'm sorry, in the basement of the Cleveland Public Library downtown. So, um, you know, we were taking books out to rural Cuyahoga County, right, that doesn't even exist anymore, and uh, making sure that uh, library services were brought into the individual communities, And then we began establishing physical branch spaces, and we're up to 27 branches, uh, serving about 610,000 people, and um, yeah, going strong.
1: What, in your mind, is the role of a librarian?
0: We're all about providing services, right? We're all about connecting people with that opportunity that I mentioned, whether it's connecting people with a book to take to the beach, connecting people with a class, connecting people with you wouldn't believe how many people still come in and say, you know, I don't have an email account and I have to now finally get an email account. Like we're still doing that every day. So we're helpers, we're community helpers, we're public servants, and we're here to provide a service. And sometimes that service is just, uh, you know, we're the only person that uh, an elderly uh, individual might speak to in that day. You know, when they come in to to read the paper, you know, so many times I see when I visit our branches, just this incredible connection between individuals and our staff. And like I said, sometimes it's that only connection that, that individuals have on that given day. And sometimes it's, you know, about teaching skills that people can't otherwise afford to learn to help with their, their workforce pursuits, or, uh, you know, maybe they've long wanted to, uh, learn how to use a sewing machine. Believe it or not, many of our branches <laughs> have sewing machines and classes and, and we have incredible innovation centers that people can come and use tools that they're just curious about but can't afford to purchase on their own.
1: Mm. I mean, there really is this this breadth of, of services. What are are some of the, the non-obvious, non-traditional offerings that sure. our libraries offer that, that most people wouldn't realize or, or be aware
0: of? So I I talk about this all the time. And I think one of the things that surprises people the most is that here at Cuyahoga County Public Library, we have the largest toy lending library in the country, public toy lending library. So we have thousands of toys. So if you are a a parent who wants to try a toy before you buy it, or maybe you're a grandparent who wants to stock up on toys for out of town visiting grandchildren, maybe you're an at-home daycare provider who wants to bring in different toys every week. So we—they're all developmentally appropriate. You know, we yeah. actually offer toys for uh, kids with disabilities. So that's a cool thing that we do. It's very unique, especially in such a large system. But uh, you can get online, search the catalog, look at pictures, pick your toys, have them delivered to your local branch. We do passport applications. We've been doing this for over a decade, and we make—we actually—that's a revenue stream for us uh, because the State Department dictates a fee that we charge people to to accept our the passport applications. And we're so much nicer, obviously, than the post office, right? <laughs> yeah. So a few years back, I think it's been, it might be about 10 years, we acquired 2 nonprofits and merged them together to provide a service called Aspire Greater Cleveland. And in this service, we offer basic literacy classes for adults. We offer GED prep and testing. So you can take your GED test after the months of preparation that it requires to to be successful. We offer English as a second language classes and we cannot satiate the need for ESOL classes um, in this region. And uh, we offer citizenship test preparation. So that's something people don't realize we do. Aspire Greater Cleveland is a part of us. And it was, uh, I always joke that it's the closest to mergers and acquisitions a, library, a librarian ever gets when we took on these two nonprofits that were kind of struggling, but um, it's all state funded. So there is a steady stream of state dollars that's distributed to entities around the state that offer these services. So we thought we, you know, it made sense. It was, it was on mission for us. So I, I mentioned those innovation centers. So yeah. like uh, embroidery machines, banner printers, 3D printers, laser cutters, all the things supporting small businesses or supporting entrepreneurs that maybe want to you know, have an idea and want to test it out. Or maybe they have a, a cleaning company and want to embroider Shirts for their crew, or hats, or you know mugs, or something. So it's not just about sort of curating a collection on our shelves, but it's also creating content, and that's sort of the create part of our mission. A lot of a lot of surprising things. Last year for our hundredth anniversary, we did a a uh, hundred things you could do at the library thing, and trust me, it was not hard to come up with that <laughs> list of hundred things.
1: Yeah, I can I can only imagine. I think you've introduced this theme of of technology a, a few times now and I'm curious in the the face of of rapid digitalization over time and kind of changing community needs how the library system has attempted to you know proactively remain relevant as the world around us is changing so rapidly.
0: Yeah, I mean, can you imagine if we were still just lending books, right? If we didn't evolve right. with the times, if we didn't, uh, you know, have this incredible digital collection of eBooks and, and audio books that people could download. That's why I think it. if you could kind of change your frame of mind to think about us, you know, in terms of having the product of opportunity, as opposed to just a physical thing, um, or place, um, but we're constantly looking for new far- formats to lend, both high-tech and low-tech. Last year, we started uh, in one of our branches that is adjacent to one of the metro parks, we started lending bikes. <laughs> so you come in, check out bikes, take them for a bike ride and bring them back, right? It's just constantly evolving, like looking at what do people need in the community? We're we're like the the uh, original recycler or reuser where you don't have to have everybody owning their own thing and pool resources together so that people can share. Whether it's equipment in an innovation center or bikes, or we loan uh, Wi-Fi hotspots now. We have um, you know hundreds of Wi-Fi hotspots that are constantly on loan for people who can't afford or have recently lost you know access to the internet, or heck, people going on vacation or going camping and, and wanting a hotspot so they can continue to to work and stay connected.
1: Yeah. I mean, we can stay on this this uh, this challenge of of the digital divide and sure. and and literacy. I mean, what one of the 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 realities of of Cleveland that really has just been astonishing to me was the the illiteracy rate and and how functionally I think it's almost two thirds of the the city's population are are functionally illiterate. And and while this includes more than I think literacy in the context of of reading, like. You know, numeracy right. and comprehension and and analytical skills. It it's just kind of an uncomfortable fact that so many face this challenge here locally. I'm curious how you think about you know what the responsibility of of the library is in you know working for that kind of education. And and I imagine the the digital divide piece comes in into play a lot right, here. Right, right. Well. There's
0: many forms of illiteracy. Right, it's not just about reading, but it's largely about reading, unfortunately, in, in this region. And uh, we do consider it our responsibility to improve those statistics. And we look at it kind of from two perspectives. It, you know, it's super important. is making sure that kids uh, don't get too far in school before they are reading to learn instead of just learning to read. And we have a number of programs in place, you know, starting with the very youngest, teaching parents how to be their kid's first and favorite teacher, you know, whether that's teaching them that it's important to read to babies, right? Like like a lot of parents don't, you know, they feel silly reading to their baby. They don't realize how critical it is forming that bond and forming that love of reading and that connection between parent, child, and book, and, and that being like the most safe and sacred combination and then also making sure that as they start to approach preschool and kindergarten that they have those skills our children's librarians are are experts in making sure that the the early literacy skills are being developed so that kids start preschool and kindergarten you know ready to learn um, ready to improve their reading skills and not starting from scratch. And then we have programs in place so that schools can identify kids who are at risk of, you know, getting toward that third grade mark without having uh, the necessary reading skills to transition. Once you start into fourth grade and beyond, you, you're, you'll you completely, like, just lose track of the ability to, to learn and comprehend Material if you can't read proficiently. So, we're very focused on early literacy skills and making sure that kids are successfully getting through the early grades. And and so, teachers can identify kids at risk and send them to the library after school where they're getting free tutoring, one on one tutoring. We have both paid and, and volunteer tutors who come in. So, that's one part of it, right? Making sure that kids don't grow up having low literacy rates. But then we know for sure there are a number of adults in our region that uh, are not reading you know, enough to, to be successful in the workforce. Or like you said, it's digital literacy, it's financial literacy, consumer literacy. So we have programs in place. I mentioned that Aspire Greater Cleveland, and that's like at the very base of that is those adult basic literacy skills where we have classes, tutors, a whole program in place to make sure that we're improving those skills and getting folks ready for the workforce.
1: And I imagine in addition to that, the, you know, just access to technology
0: uh, right. is
1: a big part of, you know, helping people overcome and, and just alleviate the 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 challenges to to acquiring those skills in the in the first place.
0: Exactly. So we do offer, uh, you know, free Microsoft Office classes, basic, intermediate, and even some advanced. We have computers in all of our branches that people can come in and use. Obviously, we have Wi-Fi access if they have their own device, but they don't have, you know, a, an affordable connection to the internet. Sometimes that monthly fee is the first to go when you are struggling financially. So people can come in and use our gigabit like of bandwidth here to stay ahead. But I think it's the classes and the help, really. Yeah. I mean, you can offer all the technology. But if you don't have a friendly face and a free class, people just aren't gonna have the means to get ahead.
1: so a, a while back, we had uh, Steve Potash on the podcast yeah. who who founded and runs overdrive, uh, which it, you know for for those listening in you know who don't remember, it's a local company here in the area that manages, I think the largest global network of digital book lending.
0: Yeah, by far, yeah.
1: 40,000 libraries across the world. How has having such an innovative company locally in the space influenced your approach to the whole digital transformation, and and what does that that partnership look like?
0: Yeah. First, I want to say I'm a huge fan and friend of Steve's. Um, I like to brag about this, so I'm going to do it. I was at the very first meeting. I was with Cleveland Public Library at the time, the very first meeting with Overdrive where we talked about what would it look like, right, to lend e-books to libraries. Oh wow. have uh, uh, Very fond memories of being at the table in his little office in Valley View. And he has just like took such a huge risk. You know, it was just the very definition of an entrepreneur. And of course now he's incredibly successful and in giving back to our community and including giving back to libraries. And we're one of their biggest customers. So it's been a fantastic partnership over time and like at any given moment with any particular frustration over the years we may have had with his products, just pick up the phone and throw ideas at him. And he's like he's such a great listener. So I I um, am proud of the fact that I've helped, along with a couple of my colleagues here, have helped shape what that service is and what his product is. And like I said, he's incredibly generous giving back to to the to the local communities and libraries as a whole he's a real champion for public libraries globally
1: in addition to to overdrive I mean you, you've had a front row seat to the, the evolution of, of library technology yeah. um, from from participating in it to you know services that that you've adopted what emerging technologies do you believe will shape the, the future of libraries and how are you positioning? Cuyahoga County Public Library to to capitalize on them?
0: I think, honestly, the digital collection is, you know, and as it improves, gets easier to use. I certainly hope that the publishing side of of this dynamic starts to get more with the times. But I, I do think that that provides the greatest opportunity for libraries to remain relevant, but also just you know, how as different technologies emerge and the average person wants exposure to those technologies, whether it's, you know, software or equipment, just innovative tools, I think the greatest opportunity exists for libraries to be sort of that first access point to that technology. With our innovation centers, for example, we have several of them around the county, you know, they have some core equipment that all of them have, and each of them sort of specializes in in different areas. But It's sort of the the starter version of of going to a maker space. Mm -hmm. You know, you might start there, learn a few things, and then be inspired to go on to like Case Western or bigger and greater things. But for the average person, it's just, it's not intimidating. There's help there all the time. And not just help from our staff, but help from the community of makers that it creates locally for people. So it's kind of that high tech, but high touch combination that I think really is where libraries can excel and find their place, uh, in sort of the ever changing landscape of, of technology.
1: Yeah. It yeah. just makes
0: sense. Right. Cause we have a, I don't know what we're up to now, three or four of these incredible $18,000 embroidery machines, right. That you could never, you, you could just never afford to get for yourself unless you're like already, you know, launching into, to, a that particular world. But, um, you know we can pool everybody's resources together and offer access and and help with that machine for anybody who walks in the door
1: when you think about the the business of libraries you know you kind of mentioned the the uh acquisitive you know mergers and ac- acquisition yeah. activity you, you were doing and i and i believe you've led some of the most extensive capital improvement programs in in the library's history can you tell us a bit more about what strategically goes into to planning for the library and, and how you, yeah. you know, in kind of that, that business aperture, how, how you evaluate things like return on investment in, in the library context?
0: Yeah. So people like, you know, people are always surprised. They, they think we're just very casual about this, but we're we're 27 buildings plus an administrative headquarters. We have about 750,000 square feet of facilities alone. So, anybody who has that kind of footprint across an area knows what it takes to to keep that running. Whether it's uh, you know keeping uh, the roof. Up to date, the parking lot in good shape. The snow plowing and the landscaping and like it—it's it, a whole whole business. We have a whole fleet of vehicles for delivering and, and maintaining our buildings. All the technology that goes behind it. We have a, a little over ninety million dollar operating budget, so it is big business here. You know, maintaining that just uh, infrastructure to make sure that our spaces are are accessible and available. We're open sixty five hours a week in twenty seven places, so. You know, if you compare it to a, a, a grouping of bank branches or, uh, you know, a fleet of Starbucks, it's it's a huge footprint across this county and it's a lot to run. And there are a lot of behind the scenes um, operational things that, you know, nobody ever thinks about. And that's good. I don't want them <laughs> thinking about it because if they don't think about it, right, they must be working. But we have, we do a lot of things centrally. Sort of that, um, you know, just for efficiency's sake, that's a real passion of mine. What can we do centrally so that we can maximize the amount of time our staff out in the branches can interface with the public? Because that's the one thing we can't do from a headquarters perspective. So whether it's purchasing and processing the materials, maintaining the technology centrally, you know, everything that we can do behind the scenes to make life easier for the staff and and the public out in the branches, what we do. Um, in terms of kind of logistically running the place. We oh, also, yeah. of course, have to to market and promote ourselves, right? Because I think you mentioned when we opened up that it's kind of an underrated public asset. Uh, so it's always a challenge to make sure that people have an awareness of all the different things that we offer, um, and, you know, all that we can do to help improve quality of life. So, there's that whole piece of it. We do some fundraising as well. Like there's a ton of behind the scenes stuff. that's fascinating. But like I said, if the general public isn't thinking about it, then <laughs> I must be doing my job.
1: Yeah, and, and understanding that most of the time, I, I, I can see why you wouldn't want everyone to be thinking about those things. But if you indulge me on this detour for a moment, you know sure. wh- what what would you want people to know about what goes on behind the scenes that none of us are really aware of?
0: I think that whole, like, analysis of meeting needs and evolving needs, like, there's a real science to making sure we have the right books in each of the libraries in each of the different communities or the right programs. So, Mm. I will say my favorite part about this job and this library system in this region is the diversity, right? So, we have branches, these 27 branches across the suburbs of the city of Cleveland. You know, the range is incredible. It's, you know, it's Strongsville to Brecksville. It's it's Bay Village to Bedford, it's Maple Heights to, to Mayfield Village. Like every community is really different. And we, we work very hard to create spaces that fit the community, to create collections that fit the community, learning opportunities that meet the needs of people. You know, they're not just different demographically, but they're they're different in what the interests are. And we pay a great deal of attention by looking at trends and analyzing data you know just anecdotal stories are important too doing surveys uh, we really care about not being a cookie cutter institution yeah. you know about really meeting and connecting with people in each community
1: right and that in in this business context is kind of a disciplined product management approach to yeah
0: it. Yeah. yeah i mean like there are obviously millions and millions of books that we could choose from to buy And very limited shelf space in our facilities. That's been a real trend in libraries, frankly, is that the space for books has given way to space for people. Mm. So making those choices about what to offer people is a real science. And we have a great team behind the scenes. And, of course, we also have cooperative borrowing so that if you don't find what you're looking for in Mayfield, maybe we can get it for you out of a, a library in Cincinnati or a university in Toledo uh, through our kind of cooperative arrangements, so there's a lot of collaboration, which I think really sets the library industry apart from typical, certainly f- from private sector. Is how much collaboration goes on amongst libraries, you know, locally and nationally.
1: Right. It it, it is more more collaborative than it than it is competitive. We're just
0: nice and we share. Like that's at the <laughs> core of what we do, right? <laughs> right. Well,
1: I was going to ask if you know if the product is opportunity. How do you think about competition, you know, in the context of libraries? Because
0: Sure. You know, I, I think we're just in that that attention economy, right? So we're just com- constantly competing for people's attention. And and we all have so many choices of what to do with our eyes and our ears these days. So reading in general is admittedly on the decline, again, because there are so many options out there. That quote you read <laughs> in the beginning was talk- talking about, like there's nothing else to do but read essentially and reading has made (laughs) us all smarter well it's sort of the opposite now i have to admit so i'll I'll, I'll give you an example a decade 12 years ago circulating physical dvds was like 40 percent of our circulation of physical materials and now it's like two percent wow nobody checks out dvds anymore when was the last time you watched a dvd Jeff. I I couldn't tell you. (laughs) Do you know if your DVD player works or if you even have one? I mean, we still have them and there is still a market for them. You know, we, we do still circulate them, but like that shift in, in over a decade of our product and, you know, we're competing with streaming, which we do have some streaming video resources, but we don't have the blockbuster stuff. We don't have the big streaming series that, that everybody's watching. So that's our competition. Our competition also is like that place thing, right? Every time I go into a Starbucks or a Panera and see people all set up doing their, their work, I just want to go shake them because they're like, they could have such a better climate and environment in their public library. You know, they're not going to be on a wobbly tiny table having to buy $5 coffee at their public library and they can bring their $5 coffee if they'd like to, for sure. But, um, you know, making sure that people are aware that we are a great space to, to work and to spend time. It's not just a place where you come in and pick something up and leave.
1: Yeah. You're, you're, you're alluding to, to some of these, I think, already, but what are the, the biggest challenges that, that you think the system faces? And as the one leading the Cuyahoga County Public Library through them, how do you, how do you navigate those?
0: Yeah. You know, certainly maintaining funding. We're publicly funded, obviously. Uh, We were very fortunate in 2020 to secure uh, an additional one mil operating levy that's continuing. uh, So we don't have the intention of going back to the ballot for a number of years. Um, But that is always a challenge. You know, at any given point, the state could change its funding model for public libraries. So we're about 78 percent, 75 to 78 percent funded by our local taxes, property taxes, and the, the balance of that is then state dollars. And so, you know, obviously losing 20 to 25% of our funding with the state would be devastating. And you, you never quite know um, from each biennium budget, but we were, we were, uh, came out of this most recent one that uh, passed at the end of June, or early July, uh, very well um, maintained our funding. But as the political winds change, uh, that could, be in jeopardy. And that, that would be devastating. So that I think is one of our greatest challenges. And the other is just, um, you know, keeping in the front of people's minds when they think about what to do with their spare time, where to spend their time, you know, again, what to do with their ears and their eyes, if it's going to be reading, if it's going to be listening to an audiobook. So we never want to take for granted that, you know, libraries have been around forever. We're always going to be around. I, I, I'm the last person to take that for granted.
1: So I I normally opt to avoid kind of political topics but sure. I I I do want to ask how you're you're handling the reality of those today who are challenging books because they disagree with certain ideas or perspectives that that are yeah. relayed through them and it, it you know it's kind of wild for me thinking back to books that helped shaped my childhood and experience you know writers like Twain and and James Baldwin and you know whose lives and observations and identities were obviously very different <laughs> right. from, from my own, but in a way where the goal was to uh, engage with difficult ideas and historical realities rather than censor and silence them. So as a library, as the institution that I think is most relevant for for this kind of debate right now, how do you uphold that robust yeah. exchange of ideas, you know, principle?
0: We take that responsibility very seriously, like that there's something in every library that is going to expose a reader to new ideas, new ways of thinking, new types of people. I'm a big believer in that reading, especially reading fiction, builds empathy and uh, is really the answer to the divisions amongst us, between us. But you're right. I mean, libraries are being challenged nationally. The idea of, of censorship, I will say that we're we're quite fortunate in this region in Northeast Ohio. People generally have a really open mind and a strong belief that public libraries should have something for everyone. Or some people like to say public libraries should have something that offends everyone. <laughs> um, but uh, so we we do see the occasional challenge to materials on our shelf, but it's, it's rare, but my peers nationally, some of them spend all of their time fighting uh, groups that would like to take materials out of libraries. And you know,'m I'm, I'm certainly not going to state on one side or the other. It's just our responsibility to make sure all sides are represented. and that it's the most important thing is that, well, you're welcome to disagree with anything on our shelves in any of our branches. It might be something that really meets a need for somebody else. And you're welcome to not take it and <laughs> not borrow it, but you can't make that decision for another person or another parent. And, and so we we just really focus on representing all sides of, of all issues.
1: What does success mean to you in in this line of work?
0: You know, success means that people are using what we're providing, that people are taking advantage and finding opportunities, whether that's you know within our the walls of our buildings or within our, our digital services and collections, that people are finding what they're looking for. Um, success is. Definitely, even if people aren't using us, they see the value in what it provides and what it brings to a community. You know, we talked about libraries being the great equalizer, as you quoted when we started. And, um, you know, you don't have to be in a place where you need to use a library to appreciate what what it can do for the culture, for, you know, the workforce, for creating, you know, communities that we all want to live in, that it's really an, an asset and that's success to me. I mean, I, you know, one of the biggest challenges since I came became director, of course. You know, we all went through the pandemic, and that was challenging in itself. But the bigger challenge is getting people back in our doors. And so, year to date, this year over last, this time of year, where our door counts are up over forty percent, and that's what success looks like to me. Like people are coming back, and it, it's been sort of it was. Kind of slow last year, and and I'll admit to being super nervous because we've invested a lot of, of tax dollars in building great buildings over the last decade. But this year, I, I'm feeling really rewarded by the fact that people are coming back into our buildings, whether just to sit and work, whether to enjoy a, a author visit, whether to learn a new skill, whether just to pick up stuff to borrow, people are coming, and that that's success to me.
1: Hmm. What are you most proud of?
0: I think going back to sort of securing um, several years of, of financial good standing is, is yeah. something I'm very proud of. We went to the ballot in 2020, you know, the fall of 2020, which is a presidential election, the, the height of COVID. And we were very successful in obtaining additional funding at the continuing level, which to me means people appreciate and value what we're doing. And that's what I'm most proud of. I'm I'm most proud of the fact that when you walk into one of our buildings, someone's going to say hi and welcome you, and you're going to feel like you're in a place where people are excited to see you, excited to help you, you know, and want you to be part of the community. You know, libraries, librarians were once sort of gatekeepers of information, right? Kind of pre-internet, we held the keys to all knowledge and changing and shifting that mindset. And, And now I like to think of us more as information concierge <laughs> than oh, gatekeeper, like right? Because yeah. we're, we're just helping to connect you um, with what you're looking for. And uh, we're not like that gatekeeper to all right, knowledge right. and all knowing and judgment and all of that. So over my 30 year career, that whole, that whole mindset has shifted and I'm proud of being a part of shifting to that real, we think of ourselves as the four seasons of library service or if you have any, like a public service, We're we're Nordstrom, we're we're the high end. We go out of our way to help people in kind of making sure that that's the experience people have when they enter one of our buildings is something I'm really proud of being a part of.
1: What's the the future of the Dewey Decimal System?
0: The what? I don't know what that is. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. Um, You know, the future is that we make it so easy for people to find what they're looking for that they don't need to have ever heard of the Dewey Decimal (laughs) System or how it works.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I have, I have such <laughs> clear memories of, of trying to understand yeah. how it works. I don't
0: even know. I don't <laughs> even think they teach that anymore. Like really it's our job to, to make sure we're either organizing the branches in a way that you don't need to know that or helping you so that you don't need to know that. But, um, yeah, you know, <laughs> so a few of us nerds out there who still know what it is.
1: Yeah, that's fun. Well, I, I know you've also had some international exposure to, to libraries as well as, a. Uh, you know, a representative of, of U S library systems. Yeah. What, what is the the conversation that's happening at a global level around libraries and, and their role at large? How does it differ if, if it does from the role they play here and what, what insights have you gleaned that you think we can take from libraries internationally?
0: Yeah. So, um, so I was part of this global cohort of library innovators. So I was the U S representative Uh, It was funded by the Gates Foundation years ago, and um, so I had the chance to to get great exposure internationally. And I will say that we're not the best in the world, uh, Mm -hmm. but we're close. We're, we're, believe it or not, chasing the Scandinavian countries who offer incredible library services. And I I think the biggest impact for me witnessing what they are doing there, how they marry social services and library services together so that it's kind of the one-stop shop for people, whether they're you know, looking for social aid or childcare or books and information, or it's all together in one place, which is also a a trend that we're experiencing here, but creating that go-to spot being more of a, a community center than having a separate library and community center and recreation center and, you know, uh, uh, social service offices and all those separate entities kind of marrying those all together under one roof is a trend that I uh, was exposed to and, and was really fond of and you know we're doing some work to try to bring those things together here. but you know largely I was just incredibly grateful for what we do have here and the support and the public support the the public dollars whether that's local or state or in a, a few cases federal because that by and large, across the globe it's not an existence <laughs> libraries look nothing like in most countries look nothing like they do here and certainly nothing like they do in in Denmark or Sweden where it's just even beyond what we're doing here
1: when, when you think about the the next hundred years knowing that you do not take you know the institution's existence and presence for for granted what are you most excited about thinking about that future, and and what are the uh, you know investments that that you're making today that you hope to to see play out over the the coming years?
0: Yeah, I've loved watching the trend, you know, certainly accelerated by the pandemic, but existing beforehand the trend of people working remotely, and I love the opportunity libraries have to to sort of be a place to come together for those people who um, are leveraging technology to, to not be in an office space all day long. Yeah. So I see that certainly as, as a growth area for us. And um, let's see, what was the other part of your question?
1: The investments that, that you're making today that you're most excited about.
0: Okay. Well, these spaces that we're building, I mean, we're, we're, we're building places people want to spend time. And we're putting a lot of care and attention into the detail so that, you know, the last thing I want is when you w- walk into a public library, it looks like you know, your high school from 20 years ago, or it looks like you're going in to apply for social services. Like it cannot be sterile. It it has to have comfort and personality and connection with your local, you know, I always say that, you know, your library needs to look a little better than your your living room, or why would you come and spend any time there? So we, we, we made significant investments and continue to do so. On space to in, to be inviting to attract people, um, because they have choices, you know, and and we want to be their top choice for spending some of their their free time. We just broke ground on a, a new twenty five thousand square foot branch um, in the city of Brooklyn. Just broke ground last mm-hmm. week, so we're about to start construction on that, and it's going to be gorgeous. You know, I, we built a, a building in Bay Village last year. We opened a new branch, and the visits are up fifty four percent. Over the the year before, like people, it was just a concrete block before in Bay Village. Like why, why would you leave your lovely home to come to a ugly, sterile government building? And now it's just a stunning, welcoming, warm, you know, there's a fireplace, there's a balcony, there's a, it's, it's gorgeous.
1: Well, I think we, we've covered a a lot of ground here. I know there's probably a lot of areas we could go a lot, a lot deeper into, but you know as we we, we bookend the, the conversation here no no pun intended <laughs> um, <laughs> is there anything you know particularly important that that is unsaid that we that we haven't spoken about yet that, that you want to share?
0: I'll just emphasize the fact that you know even if you don't consider yourself a library person, right? So I'm not sure what your typical audience is, but I'm guessing a lot of entrepreneurs, business people, busy people, right? But if somebody's listening to this, they're also curious people. They're also creative people. And they're also probably people people, right? And so utilizing your public library to kind of satisfy that curiosity, to learn new skills, to try new things, to meet new people. If you're not thinking of your public library as a way to sort of satisfy those interests or those needs, uh, I hope that listening to this has uh, changed your mind and that you'll visit us. (laughs)
1: I I hope so too. I I would love that. Awesome. Well, I'll close with our traditional closing question, Okay. which is for your favorite hidden gem in Cleveland. Something that other folks may not know about that maybe they should.
0: Okay. Well, I have to, I have to say a library, right? So, um, (laughs) I would say the South Euclid Lynnhurst public library, which, um, in 2015, we opened a brand new one, closing a very traditional Tudor mansion library that many people are very fond of, but we've replaced it with a gorgeous facility. And especially if you have young children um, who you want to sort of uh, inspire to love books and reading and libraries, bring them to that South Euclid-Lynhurst Branch Library, because the children's area is absolutely magical. We invest a lot in creating incredible youth spaces where there's as much play and craziness and, and imagination as there are books. So that's gonna be my hidden gem. I
1: love that. Well, Tracy, I, I just want to thank you for, for coming on and and sharing more about the the work that you're doing. It's yeah, awesome. thank
0: you. Thank you for the invitation and the opportunity. It was really fun.
1: If people had anything they wanted to follow up with you about, where would be the the best place for them to reach out, learn more?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, probably just via my, my work email, which is T-S-T-R-O-B-E-L at Cuyahoga Awesome.
1: Well, uh, thank you again. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to Jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at Pod Lay of the Land or at Sternfa. j e f e. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC.